This is Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud crashing, clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. During the summer, we often have a lot of uh, people from the congregation preaching, um, which is a great opportunity for us to hear different voices. So thanks to all of those who have offered uh, their voice this, um, this summer. And uh, this week, we have Craig Cornelius, who's going to be sharing uh, reflections from the Psalms. Earlier this summer, the adult education class read a book by Walter Brueggemann on the Psalms, an Old Testament scholar. And um, I'll just give a plug right now. They're reading The Second Mountain by David Brooks. Um, so having some really great discussions before the service. Uh, but anyway, so Craig uh, offered to come and share some reflections uh, from that study and from his own process around that. And so welcome, Craig. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm, I'm a little nervous about this but I trust that I'm among friends so that if whatever I say, uh, uh, whatever I say, if it's not perfect, you'll still forgive me. Um, I'd like to start out with this very short part of one of the Psalms. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for God has done marvelous things. Now, I, I regret a little bit that I gave the title for this sermon a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't thought it completely through. And I've been wrestling with it. And it's not complete. And I hope you'll see that the first phrase of being weird is, is not all I want to talk about. Um, singing. Something we do every Sunday here. It's something many people do in other circumstances as well. But when you think about it, we stand. We all face one direction. We don't always look at each other when we're singing. We read out of a book and we don't, or we, we don't really have a purpose in it. What's the purpose? It's, it's an exercise, but it's kind of strange when you think about it. Most of the things we do have a purpose. We want to accomplish something. We want to get something done. We want to finish a project. But singing doesn't have a purpose in that way. It's, it's an activity. We do it together, but we do it in kind of a strange way. I think that's a little weird. That was my motivation for the story. Sometimes we know the words. We know some of the hymns that we sing and other songs we sing um, by heart because we've done it so many times. But sometimes we don't, and so we're focused on the words and trying to get it right. And I often get a poke in the ribs when I use the wrong word from uh, my partner, and uh, she's not shy about telling me, no, you didn't get that right. And I think it's because I'm doing too much at one time. There is too much going on when I'm singing. My 
although I'm not a particularly great singer, I love it. I've been doing it all my life. I participate as much as I can, but I'm not perfect at it. One of the great things about singing is it doesn't require perfection. One of the things I thought about is what other creatures sing? Any ideas? Birds, that's almost always the first one that comes to mind. Whales, yes. Any others? Coyotes. Coyotes or wolves howling at the moon. The trees, yes, you can feel the, hear the trees singing in some ways when the wind is going through them. The crickets, absolutely. Um, I uh, grew up in the Midwest. Midwesterners might know of another singing that you often hear in the early summer. Cicadas. Cicadas, and um, when I visited Australia in their summer, um, in Canberra, one of the things I really noticed was this constant droning during the first part of the day. It's the cicadas there, which have a different song than the ones in Iowa, but they're droning. What are they doing it for? Now, there are very practical reasons that birds and other animals sing. Birds sing primarily because they are establishing a territory, or at least that's one interpretation. They're, the males are saying, this is my territory, and darn it, you better watch out when you're here. They're also trying to project their own power and strength. They're looking for mates, and there are some birds that actually do courting songs, courting rituals and singing, singing back and forth to each other. Sounds almost human, doesn't it? But singing is, uh, oh, and for general communication, singing is, is as well. Birds in flight will sometimes sing to each other just to coordinate where they are, let them know where each other is. But for birds, even though it's an important part of what they do, and I think they almost have to do that to be what they are, it's also very risky. Why? Many birds are little animals, but they produce this big sound. That takes a lot of energy. They commit a great deal to their song. It's also very dangerous for them. A little bird exposes itself when it's singing. It's, it's saying, here I am, but predators might also say, there it is. So singing is risky. It's, um, it's something that one has to be careful of. Um, but for the birds, it seems it's worth it. For whales, I'm not quite sure why they sing, but one of the things that I've grown to appreciate listening to whale songs is they probably sing partly just for the sheer joy of it. Maybe there's some practical purposes, but joy is an important part. Now, where do people sing? Where do you sing? Do you ever sing outside of church? In the shower, yes, that's a very common one. Why do you sing in the shower? Because you, you sound good in the shower, actually. And there's something about uh, the resonance of a shower enclosed cavity that makes us all feel like we can sing pretty well. Um, and then we get out and the singing isn't quite so good. Anywhere else do people sing? At Walmart? I'm sorry. Oh, at the ballpark, yes. Yes, okay. Um, maybe some people sing at Walmart, but I... Uh, and, and there's a traditional song everyone sings at the ballpark, of course, which is Take Me Out to the Ballpark. Um, where else do people sing? In the car. Oh, yes, yes. Um, I sing on the bicycle. I usually, in the summer at least, ride to work four or five times a week, 
and I sing on the bicycle, partly to relieve the boredom, partly to distract myself. I have to be careful not to distract myself too much. But singing in that way, I know that there's a lot going on in my brain, but when I'm singing, I'm only conscious of the singing, but I know that my brain, my eyes, my body are conscious of my environment well enough to at least keep me on the road and keep me from killing myself. So singing is in some sense happening at a different part of my brain than when I'm normally thinking, when I'm normally talking. When you're speaking, you're worried about your words, you're worried about the things you're trying to communicate. When you're singing, I think it's very different. It isn't talking, it's communication, and when you're singing by yourself, it is communication with yourself. So singing is, a, is kind of an interesting activity. It's, it's very different from what we do. It's different from speech, it's different from almost anything. Um, the second part, I think singing is kind of wild. You'll see a theme, weird and wild. There's much more than just the words in singing, of course. Singing is poetry in some way, some sense, poetry set to music. Much singing has a regular cadence and it is that combination of things that I think makes singing so much more than just the words, so much more than just music, that combination, verse and tone, rhythm and music tied together. I feel that singing is one of those things that engages me almost completely, literally from my toes, because very often I'm standing when I'm singing, to the top of my head. It is a whole body activity when you do it well. And when we sing and are fully engaged with not only our hearts and our lungs and our throats and our brains, we are fully engaged and all other thoughts, at least when I'm singing, are gone. I think it's one of those wonderful things like the flow that you sometimes get into when you're doing something that just feels right. At work, sometimes people get into a flow and you're feeling like, like, it, like everything's going well and you wake up at the end of, or you come to a different state of consciousness when you're finished and you've been in a flow. I think singing is a, is a way that we can get into a flow of our experience. And that flow is powerful and very satisfying. But I don't think it's all up here on the top of the brain. I think singing goes deeper than the brain. Now, because it's exercise and because it's um, requiring us to use our brains in interesting ways, it's good for us. Physically good for us, gets the old air out of our lungs, gets the new air in when we can work with real gusto on a song. We are physically moving. Um, some of the best choirs I've seen are not the ones that stand there and sing. They're the ones that are moving. They are actually doing a whole body workout when they're singing. But I think singing is involving much more than just the body. It's involving the brain in a way that sort of shoves everything else to the side. And I like that. It's an amazing different mental state. And it's achieved without any special drugs. Singing is also, um, there's some evidence that singing has got to be a lot deeper than just the cerebral cortex part of our brains. For example, sometimes people who have had a stroke or other mental problems can't speak 
maybe can't even read, but sometimes they can still sing. They can pull things out of their brains, the song comes forth, maybe with words, maybe not, but still part of them is still there in song. That means it's deeper. It's more than just the personality that you think of on the, on the top of it. How many of you can remember songs from when you were very young? Can you give me an example of a song you heard when you were very young that you still remember? Happy birthday, yes. One of those times when, at least for most of us, birthdays are happy. Yes, any others? Pardon me? Jesus loves me, you bet. Twinkle, twinkle, yes. The Beatles, Dr. Pepper, interesting. I remember one from my grandmother. Um, my, my maternal grandmother was a very, she was a perfectionist. She was very strict and she was actually very hard on my mother from what I recall. And I don't remember a lot of times when I would call uh, that my grandma Edna Huffman was fun. But I do have this memory, it's a pretty brief memory. I must have been less than 10 years old when my grandmother taught me the hokey pokey. <laughs> and to remember my grandma Edna, this very prim, proper, solid German woman doing the hokey pokey along with all the motions and throwing her whole self in and whole self out. That showed me something about her and it's a memory that stuck with me these 50 plus years about the hokey pokey. And of course with the hokey pokey, there's always the question, is that really what it's all about? <laughs> um, so songs, songs stick with us in ways that are very different than other things we learn. And I think it's because in some ways a song, like other strong emotional experiences, open up our brains. Most things we learn at the cerebral cortex level, we learn them rationally. We learn them in a way that we can reproduce them on paper. But I think a song opens our brain. It, it's sort of like um, opening the pores in our head that let things go deeper. And when we learn songs, we learn very differently. We retain them very differently. Now, I was a college professor for a number of years in the first part of my career, and, and I continue to teach, but I've, I've been thinking, maybe we should be teaching, maybe we should be lecturing the things that we really want people to learn deeply in song rather than giving boring lectures. We should maybe teach people to sing what, they want, what we want them to learn very deeply because that it sticks with us. It's stronger, it's harder. Um, I can sing lots of songs from when I was a teenager. I can remember lots of verses on the radio. And I think that was because they had emotional content as well. I can remember the sad songs when I felt like I could never have a girlfriend and there were songs on the radio that accurately reflected that. And then there were the fun songs um, in the era of the Beatles and lots of other music. Those things have stuck with me and I can sing a huge number of those songs. I can't remember an awful lot else. I don't remember my chemistry lectures very well from that time. I don't remember the history lessons very well, but songs have stuck with me and they probably have stuck with you. How many of you learned a song at one, some point in another language? Anybody have an example? 
Forever Zaka, that's one that came to mind. Forever Zaka, Forever Zaka, dormez-vous. I never understood French until the last few years. I've been taking French class. Now I understand what dormez-vous means. Now I understand <laughs> what sonne matina means in, in a deeper way. But those words that I learned as a kid have stuck with me. Another song I learned was Alouetta. Alouetta, it, it turns out it's French, but it's French-Canadian. And I was appalled when I learned what the words mean. <laughs> How many of you know what Alouetta is? Alouetta is a lark. And the song is saying, I'm gonna pluck feathers off your head, I'm gonna pluck them off your back, I'm gonna pluck off your legs. Alouetta is not a nice song. <laughs> but it's a song that I learned long ago, and it stuck with me, even though I didn't know the language at all. So language and song can tie together in, in interesting ways. There is a term for a person, this is a real job, ethnomusicologist. I met one of these ethnomusicologists when I was in Australia. He was a young man um, finishing his graduate work and his job was to go to villages, small groupings out in the Australian outback and talk to people about their language but he didn't get it by talking with them so much as getting them to sing. Why is that important? Well, first of all, many of the languages in Australia are disappearing or have disappeared already. But if you could get the elders to sing, they would remember more about their language. They would remember words that they hadn't used in the last 50 years, words from their youth. But really interesting to me is when he described the ethnomusicologist part, the ethno part, it's digging into the songs and he would find that there were pieces of songs that these elders would sing that were not in the language that the elder was singing. They were fragments of other languages that they had heard. Because in Australia, in a small group, your language group might be 200 people and other communities are around you and communicate with them. People in Australia need to learn four or five different languages just to have commerce and trade and find mates and survive in that environment. And so the songs contain pieces, it's archeology span within the songs is what this ethnomusicologist was doing. So this is the point of describing why songs are a little wild. They reveal wildness and depth in our characters that we don't think about it. Also, songs aren't passive. You don't sing a song as was mentioned earlier. Songs aren't something we just do and then forget. They're deeper than the situation comedy you might watch on TV. They're a little bit more than something you might read in a newspaper and then not remember anything about. They change us. A really good song makes us come out of that song differently than we came into it. Songs can energize us. You're feeling blue? There's a Neil Diamond song from a long time ago called Song Sung Blue. Anybody know that one? Song Sung Blue, everybody knows one. Song Sung Blue, every, every garden grows one. And then at the end of that song he says, funny thing, you can sing it with a cry in your voice, but before you know it, you've started feeling good. You've simply got no choice. In other words, singing, engaging our bodies, engaging our brains in different ways can change our mood. So I think song, helping us to be fully human, 
not just the rational part, but the emotional part of us as well. Song is a really critical piece of what makes us people. They can change us, they can comfort us, they can help give each other comfort. And that leads me to the third part. Well, not quite to the third part. Um, you might wonder how this all relates to religion, to being in church. Uh, one of the great things about giving a talk here or leading a class is that one is forced to learn about more than you can ever relate in the time you have. I found tons of articles online about songs in the Bible. One site asserted that there are, are 185 songs in the Bible, at least. It points out that many of them are the Psalms. The Psalms were written in uh, for singing, for participation in the temple, we think. And many of them are joyful. Many of them are praise. Many of them are adoration of God. But many of them, as Walter Brueggemann's book pointed out, are complaining bitterly to God. Why have you done this to me? It's a little difficult for me to imagine they would be sung. I think our hymnal probably doesn't include too many of those. But they're there, 150 psalms for singing about the full experience of humans, both the joy and wonder and experience of God and the, God, where the heck are you? And I've been abandoned. And those can be sung as well. But maybe by singing those, it helped people feel good. Maybe they didn't have a choice when they were singing these songs. There are also the Lamentations. We don't do that much in church at all either, but there's a whole book of Lamentations and many of them are songs. We don't sing the Song of Solomon, but it's a song about joy and beauty and celebration of what it is to be human. One of the earliest songs in the Bible is Moses singing a song, praising God, but also thanking God for a victory. Miriam and Miriam danced and singing and dance were part of the early experience in, in, the, uh, in the Bible, which I think many conservative Christian organizations, at least uh, um, in the, as the film Pollyanna showed, kind of lost that joy in being, uh, having music and dance and song as part of their religion. They became very dour. I think we need to recapture that and keep that as part of our songs. Um, there's also, um, instances, not as much in the New Testament, of songs being used in um, Passion Week. Jesus and his disciples went to the upper room, and it mentions that they sang a hymn. Now, there's not much about hymns in the New Testament, but that's an instance where Jesus and people with him use that. That must have been a very tender moment that they were sharing that, at that time, and they shared it with a hymn. And one other instance, which is interesting to me, later uh, Paul, when he and Silas are in prison and pretty hopeless, what did they do? They sang hymn. And at that particular time, uh, an earthquake knocked down the, the jail and they could have left, but they were singing hymns and they must have felt like their hymns, their songs, their prayers were answered. So the third W in my preparation here is the singing is wonderful. I believe that group song not only is good for us individually, but it connects us in ways that we don't often connect otherwise. When you go to the ballpark and sing, take me out to the ball game, and you're singing it with 10,000 other people, 
at least if it's a good game, or even more, um, you can feel like you're part of something much bigger than yourself. You lose yourself in that conversation, or in that, not conversation, you lose yourself in that song, in that doing things together. And I, I believe very firmly that while each of us is individually um, important and can change the world, we are better when we are working together. And singing is one way to bring us together. Now, it's dangerous because sometimes we sing things that we might not agree with. Song can be dangerous. It can unite us. It can unite us for good purposes, but it also could unite us for some dangerous things. I think the people singing at the Nuremberg um, rallies in the 1930s were not inspired by their singing the things that were ultimately good for their country or the people in their country. We watched a, um, a show about um, the diary of Anne Frank and about her experience in Amsterdam when the Germans came in. And it mentioned very briefly that the German soldiers going into Amsterdam were singing a song, but that song was not exactly uplifting. It was about the blood of the Jews that would be on their bayonets. So it was a song to intimidate. So just like any other thing that's powerful, we have to be careful about how we use our songs. But the most important thing about song is that it does connect us, I think. We can sing in unison and we feel united and strong and proud. We can sing in harmony and we feel like we're contributing in our own ways. And harmony is adding a dimension to our singing. We can sing in friendly competition when we do a round, when the church is divided into the left and right. In round, it's more complicated, it's more fun, because singing obviously can be a lot of fun. It um, engages us in many, many deep ways. One of the phrases that uh, has been used about singing is that it's praying twice. When we pray in words, we are communicating with God. When we pray in song, maybe even using the same words, we're connecting in a very different way. We're connecting internally, and we're connecting with our neighbors and friends, the people with us. Music can calm us. The focus of our words in singing can help us to connect with God in a way that is deeper and stronger than what we normally do. So I think praying and and song are very deeply connected. So songs let us feel like we are one people, one group. We share our joys and our hopes, our sadness, even our fears in songs. And you can pick songs out of the hymnal that express each of these, although we tend to focus on the ones that make us happy. Um, but there are songs in there, A Mighty Fortress is not a happy song in many ways. It's a song of defiance, it's a song of People are out to kill us. Even, although this world is filled with devils, we will still persevere. And we sing that very robustly. And maybe we wouldn't quite use those same words if we were just speaking them. But songs give us the courage to speak things that are difficult to say with just words. Our hearts are more free when we literally sing our hearts out Singing our hearts out exposes us in ways that are important to our full humanness. But it's exposure, it's danger. 
In song, I think we are transported. We are not just ourselves. We're not just our individuals. We're a community, and in song and church, we're trying to connect not only sideways, but up and down. A good song is a whole, bo is a whole body workout, and it's not just for our individual selves, but it's with the whole body, the whole community, as we try to make connections not only among ourselves, but with something deeper and grander than we are. There's an interesting story that I heard very briefly. There's a group um, at our, Anna and I used to go to a Lutheran church in Palo Alto. There is a um, program there that's been going for many years, o over 30 years now, called Christian Music Theater, CMC. And one of the things that, the stories that was about that was that a, a whole group of high school kids, junior high and high school kids got together um, at school, actually at Gunn High School, and they were trying to figure out, I think it was a bus trip, they were trying to figure out what songs they could sing together. I think in our modern age, we do not have too many songs that we all know. Maybe in the past, we, more, we knew more songs together, but now I don't think we, I think our society is more fragmented and harder to know the same songs. But this group of kids on the bus were trying to figure out what songs can we sing? And they found out they didn't know very many, except somebody said, oh, let's sing some CMT songs. And there were enough kids who had been to CMT at the Lutheran Church in Palo Alto that they had a whole bus full of kids singing Christian music theater songs. And they weren't all Christian kids, but they were engaging enough that they brought people together. So I think song, at its best, brings us together, if nothing else, than to be human together, to enjoy ourselves, and to connect. So, song. It's weird, if you think about it, but I think it's wild. And let it be wild. And I think overall, it's wonderful. So don't forget, when you're singing, you are raising your voice. So come with me and sing a new song. Thank you. Or an old song. 